Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fit the Mission. 501 people in San Francisco have died this year from accidental drug overdoses. That's the latest report from the chief medical examiner's office. Those deaths have largely been driven by the synthetic opioid fentanyl. If you've been in San Francisco, you've likely walked by someone in the grip of this powerful drug. They might be lying on the sidewalk or doubled over in a wheelchair, only semi-conscious. It may have become easy to avert your eyes, to no longer see the person behind the crisis splayed out on city streets. And it may be even easier to turn fentanyl addiction into a political debate. Should it be addressed with harm reduction efforts or strategies to get people straight into recovery? Chronicle columnist and Total SF podcast host Heather Knight says it should be both. For months, she's been following Ben Campofrida. He's a formerly unhoused San Francisco man who nearly died from his addiction to fentanyl. If you met and saw him today, you'd never guess he's done what seems nearly impossible, kick his addiction to fentanyl. We need to be helping the people that are having trouble navigating the system. And the city needs to be utilizing people like myself or people that are willing to help navigate for other people that don't have the things that I had to help figure out how to get them those things. Heather's latest column traces how he did it. It's a hopeful story that also reveals the gaps in San Francisco's care system for people struggling with addiction. What can we learn from Ben and his hard-earned sobriety? And what can the city do to ensure more people are able to do what he's done? get their lives back. Here's my conversation with Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you'll also hear from the man she followed for her story, Ben Campofrida, throughout our conversation. Your latest column is about a man named Ben who was able to kick his fentanyl habit, and you've followed him since August. Tell me, how did you meet him? Well, I've been in touch with a woman named Liz Bruley, who's a private detective for the nonprofit Miracle Messages. And so families from around the country will get in touch with her when they need help finding somebody, a relative who's homeless on the streets of San Francisco. And she has great success finding people like Ben. And that's what happened here. A friend of Ben's asked her to find him. And she got in touch with me when she really needed help securing treatment for him. And tell me a little bit about Ben's story. Who is he? He's 41. He grew up in Virginia, had a pretty happy, healthy childhood. But he did have a back problem that created um, a lot of pain in his back. And by the time he was 20, he was in such bad and excruciating back pain that he sought help from a doctor who prescribed oxycodone. I would usually describe it as stabbing. It felt like somebody was stabbing me in my lower back and more like stab you and then leave the knife in and twist it occasionally. That's probably the best definition. That was the start of a very bad decades-long addiction, which just grew worse and worse and eventually led to heroin and a fentanyl addiction. Once the painkillers were there, it was just another means of, oh, this gets me really high too, and it makes my back feel good, and I can do it and go to work most of the time. It checked all the boxes. It was just easy. There were many years that 
I couldn't have done what I was doing without painkillers. Just as much as they ruined my life, they also made my life extremely manageable and helpful until it got completely unmanageable. He was prescribed oxycodone and um, the addiction grew so bad, he told me that he was um, crushing and snorting enough pills per day that were supposed to last him for a month. So he needed to supplement the legitimate prescription by getting um, illegitimate prescriptions from a sketchy sounding doctor and then even buying the pills on the streets. Hmm. Now, for a while, Ben is functional even with this kind of addiction. He has a job, a girlfriend, uh, but then he ends up on the streets of San Francisco with easy access to fentanyl. How did that happen? So the pills that he needed to take were so much and so expensive, he switched to heroin in his 30s, which was cheaper, but even um, that grew expensive and led to a breakup with the girlfriend, the loss of a job. He was then living out of an RV that he'd park in Millbrae so he could get Uber rides to the Tenderloin to buy heroin. I mean, being from the East Coast, coming to a place where there's opener drug markets and people just using, I think when I was a, an addict, I saw it as cool and progressive. <laughs> and now I have a pretty different view on that. It's like the Wild West of drugs out here. It's, it's kind of crazy. And when his RV was impounded... It was just sort of one thing after another. His backpack with his wallet and phone was stolen, and soon his life had just really disintegrated. He was living on the sidewalks of the Tenderloin and switched to fentanyl. He knew it was so easy to get other kinds of drugs laced with fentanyl that he decided to purposefully buy fentanyl so he knew what he was getting, and it was dirt cheap and very easy to access. All the people that were doing fentanyl at first were were dropping like flies, and really I started doing it as a deterrent. I figured if I just started doing it, I, I wouldn't have to worry that it was going to accidentally get given to me and that I'd fall out. I would just be able to handle it. Everyone would make each other sit down because you couldn't take a hit of fentanyl and stay standing up. It was inevitable you were going to fall over, whether you fall over dead or just hit the ground. And eventually this is what happens to so many people. Ben's life sort of revolves around fentanyl, getting it, accessing it. Tell me a little bit about what his life looks like for him. How does he get by on the streets of San Francisco? He said he hardly ever slept. I've heard this from many homeless people that falling asleep means um, you're kind of a sitting duck in terms of people stealing your stuff or assaulting you even. And so he would try to stay awake by taking meth and just kind of wander the streets at night. He funded his addiction by dumpster diving. And he said that San Franciscans are so wealthy, they'll throw away things that are perfectly good, like clothes with tags on them shoes, sunglasses, electronics. And so he was able to kind of scrounge enough stuff that he could sell at 6th and Market that he could fund his fentanyl addiction. He would get his meals at places like Glide and St. Anthony's, found harm reduction supplies through them and nonprofit workers who would provide things like foil and pipes on the streets. And so his life just really disintegrated. And how long did his life look like this? That was for a couple of years. What was really the even worse turning point was an infection in his legs spread to his back. He already had the back issues and he became confined to a wheelchair. He could no longer walk. He couldn't use the bathroom by himself or access food easily. And so his health just really deteriorated. His normal weight was 170 pounds and by the worst point, he was at 100 pounds. Mm. Family and friends who saw him just described him as like a skeleton. And his back was in such bad shape, he was basically folded over. He said his chin was usually in his lap. It's like 
I was tied up inside of myself with another version of myself holding me hostage. I, I pictured as the real me being bound and gagged in the corner of my brain with the drug addict version of me holding me hostage and just saying, we're doing this until you die, basically. You're not getting away. Now, San Francisco funds a number of resources for people struggling like Ben, including things like the street overdose response teams, which are supposed to connect people to care and treatment. At any point, does Ben get offered these kinds of treatment options by these city workers? He did credit places like Glide and St. Anthony's and other harm reduction nonprofits with providing necessities to use safely and to eat and tents. But in terms of offering treatment, he said that never happened. He doesn't remember any outreach worker ever coming up to him and saying, do you want something else? Can I help you enter any kind of recovery program? Nothing like that. Somehow I had convinced myself even lying to myself about my health and my addiction and everything that was going on. And I was convinced that I was doing just fine. Uh, even when my health was declining and I knew that I had burned a lot of bridges and, and I, I didn't care. I really didn't give a crap at all. So, Heather, a big turning point for Ben is when he landed at UCSF. How did that happen? A good friend of his named James came to the city searching for his old buddy, and I interviewed him, and he just said he was so shocked to see what had become of his once vibrant, healthy friend. He found Ben in UN Plaza in a wheelchair, looking really skinny and unhealthy and smoking fentanyl under this hooded jacket. And James just said he was shocked by this sight. Eventually, uh, after a couple of days, told Ben, you know, I'm leaving. I don't want to remember you this way. And that seems to have been somewhat of a turning point for Ben to hear one of his best friends saying, this is the last you're going to see of me. I mean, thank God James did come when he came. He, you know, I had had a friend there probably a couple weeks before. I think it was, you know, the back-to-back visits, the way people were responding to seeing me, literally people that knew me were bursting into tears when they saw me. James just showed up at the right time. So he finally agreed to get help. And James, with the advice of the woman from Miracle Messages, took him to UCSF. That was a really smart idea because so many smaller hospitals near the Tenderloin get patients like Ben. They don't have anywhere to send them. They're not equipped to offer major help and send them back to the streets. But going to UCSF was a huge turning point. They kept him from mid-May of this year until August. So he was basically forced into a detox with help. And meanwhile, they performed major surgery on his back. I interviewed his surgeon who described this horrible infection that had infected his lower back and basically rotted his vertebra. So they removed... um, all of that and then rebuilt a spine out of a metal cage. It's sort of like a a miracle. Um, Ben said someone in the hospital estimated that his care over those three months cost over a million dollars. And the surgeon said he didn't have an exact figure, but that sounded reasonable to him. He's on Medi-Cal, so he paid nothing out of pocket, which is pretty incredible. And once he was discharged, he was just determined to stay off fentanyl. All the stuff that I masked with heroin and fentanyl and drugs in general, all start to come back and what what the hell have I been doing? What was I doing out there? Like it was like a brainwashing had happened to me. And once I started to come out of that, it, it didn't take too long for me to realize that, that a serious change in my lifestyle had to happen. 
After a quick break, more with columnist Heather Knight and the man she followed for her latest story, Ben Campofrida. Ben has made it to sobriety after a months-long stint at UCSF, but what happens to him after he leaves the hospital? Heather shares the gaps in San Francisco's resources for people recovering from drug addiction. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Heather Knight, before the break, you shared Ben's remarkable journey to sobriety, but he's kind of an exception, right? Why? Is it the great care he received from UCSF or the support he had from family and friends? I think all of the above. It just really fell into place and was sort of, you know, the one in a million outcomes. You see people like Ben every day and many of us write them off because we're kind of numb to it and thinking that person is probably destined to overdose or just descend into this miserable life. But Ben really pulled himself out of it because of his own personal determination He does have some privileges in terms of speaking fluid English. He does not have a mental health problem. Um, He was able to somewhat navigate this pretty confusing system, but he had a lot of friends and family in his corner. He did land at UCSF with world-renowned medical professionals who saw this case and wanted to help him. And so it all just kind of lined up. Well, Heather, someone listening to this could be like, it sounds like the answer is go to UCSF. (laughs) Is that the lesson here? A big lesson for me was what happened to him after he was discharged from the hospital because UCSF was equipped to fix his back and bring him back to life, but they were not equipped to kind of lead him into what happens next. The social workers at UCSF couldn't find a place for Ben to go. He needed to stay nearby for follow-up appointments, but there was no obvious place for a homeless person newly in recovery to go. They suggested a medical respite facility south of market, but that corner is known to be teeming with drug dealers. And Ben said he had a panic attack when he learned that that was the best option. I'm like, eighth admission? Like, <laughs> I used to sleep in on that street. There's drug dealers on both corners of that street constantly. That sounds like the worst idea in the world. Like, could you pick a worse place to send a recovering addict to go be sober? They eventually found a spot for him in Oakland, and he was basically sent there on his own with a stash of methadone and painkillers. He and friends and family and the Miracle Messages detective were all calling treatment facilities. When he was calling all these numbers saying, where do I go? How do I get help? People would say, well, who's your case manager? And he told me people keep saying, who's your case manager, but they don't tell me how to get a case manager. So he really had no official case manager, just friends and family who were making calls on his behalf. And that confusion really showed me that the city does not have treatment on demand like uh, voters mandated over a decade ago. In theory, someone who says in San Francisco, I am ready today to get drug treatment, I want to kick this addiction, should be able to get treatment immediately. Um, But that is definitely not how it works. Right. And recovery is so fragile, as you point out with Ben's story. And As you just said, it really points out to the promise that San Francisco hasn't been able to upkeep. So Ben is exceptional because he was able to kick his habit, his addiction, and now the recovery is something that he mostly has to navigate on his own with a lot of what sounds like strong personal will. Yeah. So after um, more than a month of just kind of frantically looking for a better option than this room alone in Oakland... I did go with him to a treatment facility called Health Right 360, and 
they told me later that anyone requesting detox should be able to get it pretty quickly. That's a few days where you're inside and given help to do the immediate withdrawal. But in terms of longer-term residential treatment, the 90-day facilities, that can take longer. Ben was able to secure a spot there when I went with him, and he's been in um, in a treatment facility run by HealthRight360 since late September. He's doing great. He doesn't need the use of his walker anymore. He can walk on his own. He can climb stairs. I, I can actually say my support system is what saved me, what really helped me. All my friends and my family that I have that are just amazing if I didn't have them, I don't know how I would have made it through that part. He goes to meetings and has a caseworker, and he voted on election day. He's making a podcast about his recovery. He's just really determined to turn this into a positive outcome. I'm excited about my podcast. <laughs> That's been keeping me busy. It gives me a chance to talk to people about recovery and their experiences in the system and with rehab and what maybe changes can be made because addiction is, it's the worst disease out there. I mean, it's nobody's safe from it. Everybody and anybody you know could end up an addict and nobody's doing it on purpose. And he intends after the 90 days are over to go into a Health Right 360 step-down program and he intends to become a drug counselor. Hmm. So if someone isn't like Ben and didn't have sort of the path that he was able to walk on, Say a fentanyl addict wants to earnestly end their addiction, what's sort of the path that San Francisco has laid out for them? What are the barriers that an average person wanting to kick their addiction would face? Well, I learned that there is a 24-hour hotline to call. I had never known that before, and I've been covering this issue for a long time. So that's kind of telling that there's very little marketing about it. Ben had never heard of it. It is 415-255-3737. You can call that number 24 hours a day. I did try it as a test. I said that I was um, looking for help for a friend who has a fentanyl addiction, and what would they recommend? Um, so there is a facility at 1380 Howard Street where people can go. But it's only open on weekdays, limited hours, not on weekends, not at nights. And so those are the times critics say it's really important to have the care there because oftentimes people hit rock bottom at night or on the weekend. So critics say, you know, there needs to be 24-hour care available someplace you can go to get that help. But that is the starting point. And then from there, apparently it can take a couple of weeks to get residential treatment, though detox and methadone should be offered quicker. A couple of weeks. Yeah. You talk to different kinds of advocates and experts. What do they say is the key thing that's missing from San Francisco's care system for people struggling with addiction like Ben was? Is it public education about resources like this hotline number or is it something else? I think there needs to be a lot more public education. It's kind of ironic that we see billboards on how to use fentanyl safely with your friends, but we don't see billboards saying if you want to get off fentanyl, this is what you should do. This is where you should go. This is the number you should call. I've never seen that. Advocates for treatment on demand say we need more navigators, people to kind of hold your hand. If you're in someone like Ben's condition or even worse, it's not like you can just figure this all out on your own. Any delay or confusion can just mean the person turns right back to fentanyl. So navigators and case managers to walk you through the process and be your advocate would be really important. Supervisor Matt Dorsey, who himself is in recovery after years of alcohol and crystal meth addiction, is working on this. He really wants 
there to be a 311-like call center where people are available 24-7, sort of like that hotline, but that they would have connections to an outreach team that would be to the person within an hour. So somebody calls that number and says, I need help. This is where I am. A team could go and get them and begin the process of getting them into treatment immediately. And he also wants um, the city to tell police to prioritize keeping dealers away from treatment facilities. You know, the medical respite facility in San Francisco where Ben was supposed to go after being discharged. Dealers stand right outside of it, offering people going in and out fentanyl, which makes it that much harder. Matt Dorsey even told me, ideally, this would lead neighbors to say, actually, I want a treatment facility in my neighborhood because then police will keep the dealers away. So it could be a win-win. So those are some ideas that make sense to me. So Heather, you've covered fentanyl addiction, the city's response to it for a long time now. What's sort of your big takeaway from following Ben for these months? I think it's important to remember there is hope. I mean, we see so many people like Ben who are kind of bent in half or in wheelchairs or sprawled on the ground. And we're so used to seeing it that sadly we can become hardened and figure like, well, nothing to be done and we just keep walking. But actually there is hope for people like that, as Ben's story shows. But it also shows the city needs a much better treatment system, a better way to access it and just more public outreach. This is how you get help. There's been a lot of discussion in the city lately uh, where people kind of pose it as harm reduction versus recovery, but really it should be both. It's obviously important to keep people who are using drugs safe by giving them clean needles, foil, pipes, helping them use safely so they don't get these kinds of infections that Ben did. But it's also important to promote recovery, to have people offering it, telling people how to get it, and not just leaving people in their wheelchairs in this filth like Ben was. So I think both go hand in hand and are important to be a both, not an either or. Well, it's nice to hear a hopeful story, Heather. Thank you so much for sharing Ben's story with us. Thank you. Heather Knight is a columnist for The Chronicle and the co-host of the podcast, Total SF. Find her story about Ben Campofrida's journey from fentanyl addiction at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. The Chronicle keeps a close eye on the fentanyl epidemic in the city. If you'd like to check out the newsroom's tracker on accidental overdose deaths, visit sfchronicle.com slash overdose. Big thanks to Ben Campofrida for sharing his story with us. If you'd like to hear his podcast, you can find it on Spotify. It's called Rehab Undercover. Thank you to Sarah Feldberg for editing this episode, to King Kaufman for the production help, and to you for listening. <laughs>